Yeah, it is a good morning. So let's do that a little bit with a bit of good goodness because I, I need some of that too. So good morning, church. Oh, that's oh, thank you. That's so much, so much nicer. I feel thank you, uh, Dylan and Christy. Just a quick announcement: we'll be walking around and giving you a pen and a little green ticket. So please take that from them. I will tell you what you're about to do with that really shortly. However, before we get into another prayer, just to give this time to our Lord, I'm going to ring up the the Bible passage for this morning. And it's the passage when Jesus cleanses the temple. Now, when we watched that Christmas box video just then, a little kid was reading a book. Do you remember what he said? He said, what about God's plan? And what did he read after that? To solve the problem of sin. We have a problem and its name is sin. Okay, so um, I did title this. uh, Did you see what I titled it? What did I title it? Yeah, I did. Why would I call it part two? Because part one was done. That's correct. You're right. Part one was actually done by Eddie. So I called him up and I stole his um, title and I just said, well, it's going to be a little bit different to what Eddie explained. And he, and he used a great passage from um, the Old Testament about sin and the law. We're going to talk about this morning um, about our response to sin. And not only our response to sin, but God's response to sin. And this is the passage that inspired me. We're not going to dive into this passage. I'm not going to rip it apart. I want to share it with you because this is what inspired me to talk about sin again. And it goes like this. Then Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who were selling and buying in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he cured them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the amazing things he'd done and heard the children crying out in the temple, this is what the children were crying just as they were there with their Christmas boxes, Hosanna to the son of David. They became angry, the chief priests and the scribes, and they said to him, do you hear what they're saying? Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read? Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise for yourself. He left them, went out of the city to Bethany and spent the night there. Here is Jesus being sort of uncharacteristically Jesus. We mostly see him as a compassionate, kind, healing, loving man. And all of a sudden, he's come into the temple, the house of God, and ripped it apart. What made Jesus so angry? What is going on? So with your green ticket, I think everybody might have one. If you don't have one, you can use your thoughts. I'll I'll allow you to do that. But if you have a ticket, it will work a little better. Grab your pen and your ticket. And I'm just going to ask you to write, what is your weakness on that page? And probably don't look over other people's shoulders. I don't know what they want to write. 
Uh, when I first thought of this, the, one of the first things that came to my mind was chocolate as a weakness. And um, when do I stop eating chocolate? But uh, all I want you to do right now is on your ticket, if you can, if you're brave enough, what is your weakness? And I'll give you 10 seconds to do that. Before we bow in prayer, I will say that uh, I'm not going to ask you to stand up and share it with us all, so don't be scared of that. Let's pause for a moment in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, how great and glorious you are. And as we sang the worship to you this morning, we realized that you are our King and our God And we want to praise your name on high. We want you in the highest place of our lives, in the highest place of this church, in the highest place of our hearts, Lord. You are everything and all we need. You give us hope. You encourage us. You love us enough to call us your children. And so we want to be in awe of you this morning. We want to worship you with our hearts, with our minds, with our strength, all that we have. We praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so um, let's, get, let's get straight into it. When we talk about sin, there's three ways we can actually describe sin. Uh, and I think that we need to describe it in three ways because one is probably not enough to talk about sin. Again, like the child said in the Christmas boxes, This is our problem. That's it. Our problem is sin. The solution, he read, is through Jesus Christ. And this is where this is going to end up. No surprises there. It's going to end up with Jesus Christ. Okay, so let's talk about it. One way to describe sin is falling short. Uh, Maybe put the next, yep, that's a good one. Uh, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So when, I, when you think of your green ticket, or even in your thoughts, if you didn't write it down, can I ask someone who didn't think of something or write something down? And that's good to see, because the Bible is saying we're all in the same boat. Which means for ourselves is we don't have to look better or worse at each other because we all have the problem. It's owned by all of us. No one's better than the other person. We all fall short. Another way to look at this is uh, through the word of transgressions. I think uh, maybe you can't read it there, but just out of a, a Google search, Transgression says an act that goes against the law, the rule or code of conduct and offence. So when we break the law, we transgress. One way of looking at sin is falling short. When we try so hard and we try so hard and we keep missing that mark, another way to look at it is in your lawbreakers. Falling short is we're trying to get there, but I just can't get there enough. There's something missing. Breaking the law is different. It's blatantly disobeying God's commands. And another way or another word to look at sin 
is the word iniquity. Okay, iniquity means a brokenness or a bent out of shape. Now, all three of these, I think, get the picture of what sin actually is. So, we live in a world of iniquity. It's broken, we can say. It's full of evil. It's bent out of shape, our world. David, in Psalm 51, uses all three of those words when he has a prayer to God. Uh, One of the scholars I read says that this is after he's done his sin with Bathsheba. And we know the story of Bathsheba. He saw her on the roof. He committed adultery with her. um, And even in the end, murdered the husband or got Uri, the husband, to be murdered. Um, So yes, sinful David says this. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, blot out the ways I've committed a crime, I've broken your law, wash me thoroughly from my iniquities, I've been reshaped to this evilness, and cleanse me from my sin or my falling short. David used all three of these to describe sin. Okay, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. It's, it's here, it's in front of me. Against you, you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. It's an interesting phrase, the last one, particularly if we to look at Bathsheba and Uri. And he says in the end, I've sinned against you and you alone. Yet, hasn't he sinned to others as well? So um, we'll, we'll have a quick look at that. Against you and you alone have I sinned. So the manifestations of sin. uh, So some of the components of sin is, we'll look at it this way. We can sin internally. And David in this situation has sinned internally. He's let himself down. He's He's dropped the standards from what God wanted him to be. A king of Israel. And he's dropped that. He's let it go. And he sinned against himself. So you know what? It's going to hurt himself because sin hurts. It's the problem. He also sinned horizontally. Okay, so he sinned towards Bathsheba. He made her commit adultery. He murdered Uri. So his sin not only affected himself, but it affected others around him. And then he sinned vertically towards God by falling short of God's righteous standards again. Ultimately, though, as David says, every sin is against God. Which is why we come up a lot of those verses about when Jesus says, take your mat and walk, go and sin no more. Your sins are forgiven. And the, and the Pharisees would say, well, how can, how, who can forgive sin? Oh, Jesus can. He's claiming to be God right there and then. Because when we sin, we sin against God. So let's look at our response to sin. These are three that I thought I've probably done in my life. Okay, so one is to, we can truly ignore sin. It's in our lives, but we don't have to face it. We can ignore it. We can put our head in the sand like that fella, pretend it's not there. We can put on a mask and come to church and be the greatest Christians we want to be but we haven't dealt with what's inside. We can ignore it. We have that choice. 
That's our choice. I have George there to remind me um, of what sin can do when it's in your life. Uh, and I love George. If, if you've watched Seinfeld, George is a character to me that he's raw. He knows his faults. He knows he's not perfect. He's not the most attractive man on the show. And he makes a ton of mistakes. But he's very open to them. I love that part about George. I wish I was more open to my mistakes like that. In this episode, oh, let me ask, Ben, do you know what this episode is? What's this episode? So George is a marine biologist, if you remember. Jo Jerry met a girl from high school who was the it girl. She was the pretty girl in high school. And, and she asked about George when she met Jerry. Jerry said, oh, yeah, he's doing great. He's a marine biologist. And George then met Jerry and Jerry said, oh, I saw, um, I think her name was Diane, something like that. Um, and said, well, you met her, you saw her, that's fantastic. She asked about me, George said. And Jerry said, yeah, although I told her you're a marine biologist. And he said, why, why would you do that? But the next part of the, of, the, of the episode goes into a part where you see George on the phone with this it girl and he's talking about plankton and things of the sea so he's going along with this marine biologist story and while I'm watching it I'm getting more awkward and more awkward because you think he's gonna get caught out this can't go on he's got to address this sin sometime in his life this picture is when they're walking on the beach and I think the conversation is about octopuses with nose and nostril spots on his face if I remember correctly something like that then a crowd is there on the beach and there's a bit of commotion. Do you remember what was going on? Yeah, a lot of you have seen this, obviously. Okay, some of you haven't, so I'll tell you. There was an upset whale. There was a sick whale just in the beach. And someone yells out, is there a marine biologist around? <laughs> okay, so Diane, the it girl, was with George. You're a marine biologist. And right here is when she's looking at him, she goes, go there, save the whale. And then she says, do it for me. And even then, he doesn't admit to his lie. So he gets off his hat and you see him just charging into the ocean. Okay? He's not a marine biologist, of course. In the end, um, he comes back and, and they're all in the cafe and he tells the story to his friends, Jerry, Elaine and Kramer, the, the famous four. And he says, um, well, in the end, there was a golf ball that Kramer actually hit into the whale's blowhole so it couldn't breathe. And he pulls out the golf ball and says, this is what was going on. But in the end, he says, I told her I wasn't a marine biologist. I couldn't keep going. In the end, they broke up. But if we ignore sin, it gets us into a place that becomes really awkward. And what you see in George is the same thing that we see in ourselves. We're not free anymore. He wasn't free to be himself. He wasn't honest. So Christ gives us freedom, but when we're free, we confess our sins, we repent. We tell the truth, we're honest people. Because if we don't, we actually become a slave to the sin. You see what it does? It captures us. It holds us captive. It held George captive as a marine biologist. Hebrews 10 says, For if we willfully persist in sin after having received the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a fearful prospect of judgment. You see, if we keep going, we know the truth now, but we keep going in this sin, 
Hebrews is saying, well, you're not really addressing it. You're ignoring it. So now there's no longer a sacrifice, but you will now be judged according to it. Did you get that? That's pretty big. Be fearful for that prospect of judgment, Hebrews is, is warning us. Okay, so the next response to sin is um, we justify our sins. We can justify our sins. I like this quote. I actually loved it because it, it, was, it resounded so much in me, I suppose, is why I like quotes. The sin that is most destructive in your life right now is the one you are most defensive about. What are we defensive about? What are we putting up a fight about? And we say things like, well, we have these excuses. Well, everyone else is doing it. You know, why can't I? I've actually seen the leaders of our church do that. So why can't I? Another thing we can say is, well, I'm not hurting anybody. This is only me doing this mistake, this weakness, this sin. It's not actually affecting people like David horizontally. It's just affecting me. We justify ourselves. It's not hurting anybody else. It's just hurting me. Or we say things like, it's not a, that big of a sin. And we start putting sins on scales, or on levels. It's not that big of a deal. Sometimes we might even justify why we lie. Well, it was just better to lie. If I didn't lie, it would cause a commotion. Things like that. And sometimes we try to justify when our desire becomes the sin. So I'm not yet sinning. I'm nearly sinning, but I'm not. Because James talks a little bit about that. He says in James 1.14, But one is tempted by one's own desire, being lured and enticed by it. So we know what Satan's using, the devil's using. We know where we can fall short because we have desires. It's not saying we don't have desires. We have them. But what do we do with them? Then when a desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin, when that's fully grown, gives birth to death. So James is warning us, if you're ignoring it, if you're not addressing it, if you're only justifying it, then it gives birth to death eventually. So what are we doing with our sin? Are we justifying? Are we ignoring it? Are we letting it pass through? When does my desire become the sin? I'm desiring this. I'm not sinning yet. So we try to justify it that way. And the last one, I thought, well, there's, there's more, ways, more things we do, but uh, uh, I like to do things in threes because I think it's a little easier to remember. Our response to sin is to address it. That's the third one. Yep, we have the choice to ignore it. Yes, we can justify it all we want. doesn't do anything, but we can address it as well. So there are three things choices that I've had in my own past. And it's a beautiful verse, this proverb. He who covers up, covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses them and forsakes them will have mercy. John the Baptist came preaching. Before Jesus started his ministry, he, he paved the way. And it says in Mark 1, 4, 
And John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of, do you remember the word he used? Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. You see, I like this verse because it doesn't separate it. It doesn't separate baptism and repentance. It jo- he joins them all up. This is the baptism for your repentance of sin. But he came saying, repent. Sin is the problem. This is addressing it. Repent. Why? James 5.16 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Every time we address sin, we, we, it's, it's so difficult. Come on. It, it's hard to address sin. We hate it. It brings us shame. It brings us pain. It's not easy. You're going to see me as a different person if you know this about me. But every promise about addressing sin only leads to good in the Bible. Confess your sins so you may be healed. Pray for your brother. When you address it, I will show you mercy. I will show you forgiveness. So sin is hard to address, but we know when we do, only good things come out of it. Only good comes out of when we address, when we repent, when we confess. So there are responses to sin. We can ignore it. We can justify it. We can actually address it. That's the hardest one to do. Let's, again, let's be honest. Ignoring is easier and justifying is easier than addressing sin. God's response to sin. Many of us probably in our lifetime would have seen a picture similar to this. We have a man on one side or people, even better. I like people on one side, God on the other side, and a big chasm that says sin separates us from God. This is why God hates sin for me. You see, God's nature actually says in Isaiah, but your iniquities, the nature of God, Psalms, sorry, I'll read Psalms to you. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell in you. This is talking about the character of God. Evil may not dwell with you. God can't have sin. It's against his nature. It just can't happen. So when we're sinners and we're sinful, it can't be with God because that's his nature. So it separates us from God. Now, as a loving father, isn't that what you hate? When your children are separated from you? When they're not near you? God hates sin because it separates us from him. And when we see what sin does, we too should hate it because it's separating me from God. I should hate sin. We should hate sin for what it does to us. Isaiah says, but your iniquities have made a separation between you, between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. It's not just a God, God's over here saying, I still see you, you're separated. It really separates. 
That's what sin does. That's the ugliness of sin. It keeps us away from God. Amos 5, if you can see that, says, um, Hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gates. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Before that, it says, seek good and not evil. So we should hate sin too. That you may live and so that the Lord of the Lord, the God of hosts will be with you. See, we close that gap. We get rid of sin. That's the problem. We close the gap. We're with God. That's simple. Seek good and not evil, that you may live, and God will be with you. Just quickly on the next slide, I think I have two other things. So we talked about the separation of sin, but what else it does is the, I think it's called privation of good. We miss out on God and His blessings. Again, a loving Father wants to give you blessings. He wants to give us blessings. He wants us to be enriched with His freedom, His love, His all that He has in store for us, sin takes that away. The other one I'll just quickly mention is punishment. You see, when we talk about transgressions or breaking the law, there's a penalty to pay. Just like you drive a car and you speed and you get caught by the cops, there's a penalty you pay. Just like when you eat too much chocolate, there's a penalty I pay. Punishment. We're punished. We pay the penalty for our transgressions. There is punishment for sin. Okay. So God's response. Ah, what were they now? What was God's response to sin? He hates it. He justifies it. What was it? Separate, yeah, okay, separates. Ah, no, what? his response to sin is now coming up. Sorry, my bad. God's response to sin. All right, this is what we want to talk about. You see, when we understand God's response to sin is when we can also respond to sin. Now, again, there's probably more than this, but this is what I've experienced in my own life as well. So this is what I would love to bring up. Now, the story I'm going to bring up with you and God's response to sin comes from the movie, uh, not the movie, it's a book really, but I've only seen the movie, so it's a movie to me. It's um, Les Miserables. I believe the B is silent, is that right? Unless you say Les Miserables. I'm not sure. So I say Les Miserables, it sounds nicer. It was written by Victor Hugo. And there's a story of a guy, who's seen it? Has anybody seen Les Miserables? Okay, it's a musical, and if you don't like musicals, you probably won't like it because it's pretty much singing right through. Um, however, the story is actually amazingly connected to Scripture. And it, from what I've read, that was Victor Hugo's purpose for writing this story. So there's this guy named Jean Valjean. He's played by, um, oh, what's his name? Hugh Jackman. Is it Hugh Jackman? Yep. It's hard to see. Maybe you turn that light off for a little bit if we can. Uh, yes, okay, so there's more than one version of it, yeah? So, this picture, all right, at the start of the movie, he's under chains, really. He's pulling, uh, he's a slave, he's a rope, he's in prison, really. For 19 years, he was, he was sentenced because he stole a loaf of bread 
to support his family. Yes, the crime or the, or the punishment doesn't fit the crime so well in our minds, I know that. But there's this guy named Javed, who's the law-abiding guy. He's the commander. And whatever, if you break the law, you're punished. And he's going to capture you and he's going to stop you. He doesn't care if it's a loaf of bread or what. He see, in his mind, he says, you stole. And that can't be good for our community. So you're under punishment, 19 years. If we go back a slide, and we'll come back to this one real soon. Thanks, but thanks for showing Javet, um, played by Russell Crowe there in the new movie. Um, after his 19 years, at the start of the movie, he's given his ticket of freedom by Javet. You've served your sentence, you're now free to go. So he starts to wonder. He's wandering up hills and mountains. He's actually still poor. He's been in prison for 19 years. He's lonely. He's almost lost. He's homeless. He's cold. This bishop finds him. And he sees him cold and lonely. I think when he finds him, he was probably sleeping in like his chicken pen or pig pen. I can't exactly remember. But the bishop, with compassion... Come inside, have some bread, have some wine, have a bed till morning. And I love that line there, rest from pain and rest from wrong. He actually called him in the song, the bishop called this guy, a guy who's just been in prison for 19 years, Jean Valjean, a guy who is... Is poor and dirty and yuck. And he says, come inside my brother. And he calls him brother. And so he feeds him. And he gives him everything. He, he says, everything I have, we'll give to you too. This bishop showed compassion on him, without a doubt. So the world that was set up for Jean Valjean, was it not a world that he was going to commit that crime again? He was going to sin again, eventually, because he's homeless, he's poor. He's going to be starving soon. The bishop created a world for him where he doesn't have to do wrong. Come inside, my brother. So God's response to sin. One is that of justice. And even Javert, he quotes this in one of his songs. He says, mine is the way of the Lord. You see, he's the law controller. If you break the law, you're a transgressor. That's what sin is. You break that, I'm going to capture you. You're going to be punished, just like we said we would with sin. Okay? And those who follow the path of righteous shall have their reward. And if they fall, though, if you fall as Lucifer fell, the flame of the sword. There is a punishment. And that's what Javet's picture right through this movie is all about. I won't talk too much about the law, but if you want to go back, go to part one. It's not part one. It's called The Ugliness of Sin on a podcast that Eddie shared, and he talks more about the law there. God's way to respond to sin, one, is justice. Now, what happens in the movie is that the first night, Jean Valjean sleeps at the bishop's place. He wakes up. And he sees the bishop asleep in the whole house quiet. And so he begins to rob the place. After this guy has done so good, he robs the place with all of his silver. And he puts it in his bag and he heads straight out the door. He's robbed him. 
Okay, when he comes back, he's caught by cops and they bring him back and they throw him on the ground to the bishop. And they say, we know he stole from you. Justice says that the bishop goes, you're right. The truth is he stole from me. Now you are the law. Go and do what you will. It's more than a loaf of bread. Imagine what he's going to get this time. He got 19 years for a loaf of bread. Now what is going to happen? Justice says the bishop had every right to say that as well. He did steal from me. I gave him compassion and this is what he did. He stole from me. Take him. That's justice. The next way is leniency. The bishop now, he could be lenient to him. He could have said, yeah, he he stole from me, but because it's my belongings, drop the charges at least. You can drop those charges. I won't mind this time. That's being lenient. That's what leniency is all about. Well, the last way, God responds. Oh, actually, I think there's a video clip, if it works, on the next slide. Uh, it's, it goes for about two minutes. This is the part where he actually robs the bishop. Maybe uh, there should be sound attached to it as well. We'll give it a shot, Stevie. Thanks. We have your silver. We caught this man red-handed. Hear the nerve to say you gave him this. That is right. But my friend, you left so early. Surely something slipped your mind. You forgot. I gave these also. Would you leave the best behind? This man has spoken true. (laughs) That's fine. We'll push on. You saw the main bit, actually, which is how the bishop responded. And this is what we call grace. You get it? You see what he did? This guy stole from the one guy that loved him that gave him compassion, that gave him a a new chance to life, stole from him. He comes back with the guards thrown on the floor and says, you've taken what you, he took your silver, Bishop, what do you want to do? And he says, that's right, he did take my silver. But you ran so early away that you didn't take these two what I was giving you. And he gives him the candlesticks. He says, I gave these to you. Do you get grace? It was undeserved. He let him go. Not just let him go. He gave him more. 
Don't just take that silver, take this as well. Amazing grace. Undeserved grace. You guys know who John Newton is? Anybody know? He's a history of Christianness, I suppose. Is that a word? John Newton. Who's heard of John Newton? Ben? Oh, a few people, yeah. What what have you heard, Ben, about John Newton? Yeah, oh, you guys know too. I know you. John Newton, that's right. He wrote Amazing Grace, right? Yeah, see? He wrote Amazing Grace. But he was actually a captain of a ship with slaves. Just as Jean Valjean was. That's amazing what John Newton saw. And then asked for this grace that was amazing, even upon himself. So here's the bishop giving Jean Valjean more. Candlesticks. Here's more silver. You forgot these. Here's the bishop applying grace to Jean Valjean. And the part that was cut off in that song, he says, Now Jean Valjean, you are free. Take these candlesticks and become a better man. You see, Jean Valjean knew that he could have been under the bishop's control. He knew, he knew that I could have been sentenced to life and that was it. Sentenced to death even. But Jean Valjean gave him his life. And now he asked, take these candlesticks. And this is the same thing God does. Take this grace that I'm giving you and become a better person. Take these sticks of grace and become a better person. What are you going to do? What am I going to do with grace? It doesn't just save. It saves. It doesn't just begin the story. It follows through the story. Grace changes. So I'm nearly, I'm nearly done. Um, next slide. Yep. Straight after that. He goes to the chapel of the bishop's place and he's on his knees and he's praying. What have I done? I was a thief. And he says, this guy could have had me. He could have had me thrown in prison. And he's crying. He realizes he's done something real bad. But he's also realized what grace has done. Grace has sent him now on his knees. Grace has sent him to where shame is. You see, we're shameful because we know we're sinned. But it doesn't stay there. That's the good news. This is Jean Valjean for me. This is his conversion in the whole story. After this part of his knees, he goes on to make a better life for himself. But not just for himself. For all those around him. These are some of the things I've seen him do in the movie. This is grace changing Jean Valjean. He becomes a mayor of a town and provides income for poor ladies. He's well respected. He starts to look after the poor. He knew he was poor. He's given them a chance. He's giving them work. He becomes mayor. He's that respected. He saves a prostitute from the law and looks after her until her death. A prostitute has a child. She's only a prostitute to care for her child. She does a lot of these things to just simply make her child survive to send money back to the orphanage where her child is Jean Valjean looks after her she's beaten up 
he takes her in. The law, Javet, wanted to take her to jail. As a mayor, though, he had a bit of power to say, I'm going to take her. You've done your duty, let me look after her. So he grabs her, takes her to the hospital and looks after her. She ends up dying. And before he dies, she asks Jean Valjean, can you please look after my child? He promises that. He goes to the orphanage. He pays for the child to be released. He brings her up. These are all the changes of grace in his life. This is what grace has done. He buys and raises up. Her name is Corset, the orphan of the prostitute. He gives her a healthy home and a second chance of life for her too. So grace didn't stop at Jean Valjean. Grace then moved on to everybody else who was affected or who was near him. So God's response to sin, justice. Well, he could be lenient, I suppose, but grace. And I reckon God knows grace is the true way that it can only work. It may not, but it's the true way where we can be falling on our knees, sorry for what we've done, and use grace to make better lives for those around us as well as us, to be truly forgiven. When we live in grace, that's the freedom that Christ gives us. Not like George, trapped in sin of his lies, we live in grace. Sins are forgiven. They're put on the cross. That's done. It doesn't mean we don't have a battle anymore. Once we're converted, we still have a battle. But this battle now, we win. There's victory at the end of it, no matter what, because of grace. This is the part we can't get confused. A lot of us think, I've got to get somewhere to get the grace. Now, grace here, just like this story, comes first. Grace comes first. Okay? It's grace first and then a transformed life. Not trying to transform my life to get the grace. It's the other way around. Grace always comes first. That's the love of our Father. That's the love of our God. Uh, Did I have a picture there of Javet? (laughs) Just to quickly touch on him in chains. So they caught Javet. He's the guy that he's hidden in civilian clothes to try to trap these rebellious guys, and they hand him over to Jean Valjean. This guy has been chasing Jean Valjean all of his life because this guy represents the law in the movie, and I'm chasing him down. Jean Valjean gets him handed over in ropes, has the chance now to address this, has the chance, if he wants, what they all expect, to kill him, to get rid of him. And guess what he does? He gets the knife and he unties his ropes and he says, Javet, you are free. And Javet couldn't believe it. He goes, there's something fishy here. There's no way you're going to let me go free like that. And Jean Valjean says, there's nothing fishy here. You have your freedom. You've done your duty. In fact, if you want to go free and come back and capture me, I'm at this address. You can come and get me. He forgives his enemy. If we remember back to Ben Sabo's uh, sermon not long ago, he's forgiven his enemies, but only because he's been shown grace first. Only because of that.
Let's read together. Let's close up. Okay, you read the yellow. Romans 2.4 says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that? It comes first. Grace comes first. God's kindness leads us into repentance, not the other way around. But God... Even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Amen. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Grace you have been saved. It is the gift of God, like the candlesticks. It is the gift of God, not the result of our works, so that no one may boast, for we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus. Grace comes first. Good works follows because of grace. So the last lie we have goes back to that story. Why was I inspired by that story? Because God hates sin. We're claiming now, God claims us to be the temple of God. Our souls, our human souls. So what are the tables we've created? Have we made a merchant out of our temples? Or can we say this is a house of prayer? Is God really the temple of my soul? Is there anything in my life to which God will respond? Get these out of here. How would I respond if he did do that? We're going to close. We're going to close in a prayer. I'm going to ask Oscar to come up after the prayer to come up and pray for those going on a missions trip. Also, uh, I've, I've requested Eddie and Oscar and myself, after that prayer's done and while you sing the songs, we're going to head into the main hall. And if you need prayer, if, if that thing that you wrote on your weakness is bothering you, it's on your conscience, maybe that's what you want prayer for. If you are struggling with direction, maybe you want prayer. Or if you want healing, or comfort, you don't have to, but you have the right to have the opportunity to do so. So we're going to sit back there in that room. And if your heart is convicted, here's your opportunity. I will say this, if that doesn't happen today, make sure it does happen. And I'll encourage us all to find someone who is maybe a mentor to us, maybe someone we can trust to confess our sins. To share our weaknesses. No one put their hand up, which means all of us thought of a weakness. We're all in the same boat, guys. Let's all help each other out.